Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. special edition of the Michael Deacon program and of course I am joined by a very special guest right now Robert how are you I'm doing pretty good how are you doing Michael I'm doing great I'm glad you're here I'm glad to know you're from Southern California as well and um, Robert I got to be honest you know I don't get too many people from you know our parts of the woods out here so I'm always excited to have a fellow Californian uh, share the air with me yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. You know, I grew up out out here in uh, in Los Angeles and have been involved in film and commercials and voiceover and all that stuff uh, ever since I was 15 years old. And it seems like everybody out here is from somewhere else. That's true. Everyone's everyone's shocked when they when you say, "Yeah, I grew up here." And then every once in a while, you'll be in a room where everybody is from there. Everybody's from from California, and, and we're all kind of kind of surprised at that yeah but uh i think it's the it's not a not a dig maybe it is a little bit of a dig i think the reason californians get somewhat of a bad name is from the people that (laughs) didn't grow up that are not from here that moved here because the people that that grew up here i mean we're all pretty chill and we love it like yeah whatever you know we're used to traffic we grew up (laughs) driving in the car in traffic so it doesn't throw us and uh you know we just kind of kind of get on with the day that's very true. Very accurate statement there. And yeah, lots of people not from here like to uh, criticize those who are from here. And of course, those people that do criticize have never been out here to uh, begin with. Um, unfortunately, that's the funny thing about it all. But I got to be honest, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. California oh, no, no. is, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's the, the alpha and the omega. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I, I love it. You know the weather is, uh, of course, is is outstanding. It's amazing, yeah. And I love that it's low humidity. And you know, growing up out here, it's it's a different experience. I think it's hard for people to move from the East Coast out here to, to the West to yeah. Los Angeles, especially like from like say from a major metropolitan city like New York to L.A. And the major problem they have is just you have to drive. You know, you go from a culture where you can walk a lot, you see people on the street, you take subways or cabs or whatever. I mean, that's how you get around to all of a sudden you have to have your own car. 
because no, Los Angeles is pretty spread out. Very we, spread out. When, when we talk about distances, people say, well, how far away is blah, blah, blah. We never say miles. <laughs> what do we say? Oh, you know. We say time. That's right. How much? Well, <laughs> usually two hours. Yeah. How, how long is it? You know, how long is it? How far away is that? Oh, it's about 30 minutes. <laughs> that could be that it's two blocks away or it could be 30 miles away, depending on the, uh, the traffic. The traffic. Yeah, exactly. I have a friend of mine, an actor. The, uh, the 405 is everyone's nightmare, the freeway, the San Diego freeway. And he, I don't know how he got this license plate through the DMV, but the license plate is FN405. So it's the FN405. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Pretty creative. Yeah. But yes, um, California, I know lots of people like to uh, disparage us out here, but you know, lots of uh, things are, are good out here. It's not so, um, it's not like San Francisco everywhere. And no dig at no dig at them, but oh, I, San Francisco is beautiful, man. Yeah, I, it's I, beautiful I, there. Yeah, I love going up to San Francisco. I don't understand why San Francisco people there don't like Los Angeles people because I I have I have, I love San Francisco and San Francisco people. I think it's just basically the the sports teams are are battling one another. That too, but of course it it depends where you are out there as well. You know, there's some bad parts yeah. out there, like there are here. That's that's the truth. I, I guess it just that's depends, you know, what you're into and. You know, what do you have to see that day, in other words, you know? Well, it's all about, I think Los Angeles, it's all about insulation. <laughs> you want to be in your your house, you want to be separated from everybody. When you get into your car, you want to be insulated. You want you That's know? true. So you kind of, uh, you know, you, the only time you're ever exposed is from your your house to your car, and then from your car to wherever you're going. Right. And, and, and isn't it weird sometimes you'll actually see somebody else driving in a car that you know? Yeah, that, that and then it, it's like a shock. It really is. Oh my God, that's Jerry. Jerry, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, this is—it's a, a big zoo out here. So this should be fun. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thank you for uh, for inviting me. Yeah, um, actually, you know, I meant to do this sooner. But I actually had—I think it was back in—I want to say 2016 at Alien Con. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. I, I was there at the dinner. Really? I was there, and I saw you out there. I was going to approach you. And ask you to be on the show, but um, I don't exactly know what happened, but I, I had to leave shortly after. Was, it, was this one in Santa Clara? In Santa Clara, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that man, that was- That was fun, right? That was really an epic alien con. That, that was, was great. The yeah. very first time we ever did it. We had no idea what to expect. And uh, that's why it was done in conjunction with, yeah. I guess, Famous Monsters magazine. Mm -hmm. And they all thought, well, at least- we'll get some of the monster crowd and maybe a few people from aliens would show up and it turned out to be insane. It was so much fun. Oh my God. I had a great time. Yeah. yeah. I even and saw that, the band. That, di that dinner was great. That was a, when Kevin asked mm -hmm. the audience, how many people had, uh, I guess seen a UFO or had an experience or a close encounter when basically three quarters of the people <laughs> raised their hands, we were all, amazed <laughs> amazed yeah i remember that and giorgio was totally unprepared for it he was like a like a rock star he, he was, was not expecting that yeah he they got a great standing ovation yeah they didn't have along with his hair that's right and so did you though <laughs> we we yeah we we had no idea um how many people were were really huge fans of the show so it was it was it was humbling in a lot of ways yeah. And uh, the final, were you there for the final big, I guess, super 
panel. Yeah, I was there. The big panel. Of, yeah, the big tables and the big uh, room there past yeah, that had, little water to, park. They had to move that. It was supposed to be at a much smaller venue, but they realized oh, we can't fit everybody in. It was crazy. I have I have a photograph I took from up on stage of the uh, basically standing room only. And it was it was also funny on a personal note because you know they told me okay you're going to introduce everybody okay sure and, you know I didn't I I knew people but I didn't I hadn't really met them yet until that, person, that first yeah. time so I had to write everything down of course I was sitting on the end of the table and somebody came up to me some one of the one of the organizers and said okay you're going to have to uh, wrap this up <laughs> or you know get get to the conclusion because you're getting close to the hour and I I, I thought. Me? It's, it's my. When did it suddenly become my job? I know. Now they throw it at you. But it was it was a, a great amount of fun, man. That was incredible. Yeah, incredible. that was awesome. I had a wonderful time out there as well. And yeah, I, I'm glad you remembered that one. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we we still talk about it because it was just so uh, unexpected, and uh, the the energy was just so electric there. And there were other events that were happening. There was even, I think, an Armenian wedding that was happening. It was all kinds of crazy stuff was happening at that uh, that hotel, and people were crying because they couldn't get into some of the oh, some really? of the rooms where people were talking. Oh, I didn't know we, that. Part. We, had, we had no idea. We thought, okay, well, you know, a room for a hundred that should be fine, and then all of a sudden, five hundred people show up. Uh, so it was it was pretty surreal, pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was the first time I met George Norrie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He and yeah, he was, uh, he invited me, uh, he invited me to be on the show. Uh huh. Just, uh, you know, to plug this show. And that's when, uh, this, that's when this show is kind of barely kicking up some steam. Mm -hmm. But I've been in and out of the uh, radio thing for a while. I was actually producing a show for, uh, the late John McAfee. Mm -hmm. Um, that was fun. Very different. But, you know, wow. all, all remote. They're out there in Texas. Well, I don't even know where he was, but. It was like a small radio station out in You're Texas. The, the, the virus guy, right? Yeah, that guy. Mm -hmm. The uh, tax invasion guy. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that was something else. But that was uh, many moons ago. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays, you know, doing the whole freelance voiceover thing, that's been mm -hmm. a hit or miss. You know, I've done some commercials for the radio, but, you know, they're all very small projects. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's so shattering. It's soul shattering. Yeah. Sometimes uh, it can be. It, it'll, it'll, it'll crush you. <laughs> yes. It I is, get rejected uh, more than I get hired. In other words. Well, that's par for the course. That's right. That's part of the game. You know, everybody ha has that. You have to have a thick skin when it comes to, I have a friend of mine who is a voice actor. He's also uh, a writer, director, does all kinds of things. But he, he said he couldn't handle – he could handle the rejection as an actor. Yeah. That was okay. But handling the rejection as a writer was much more difficult. So I guess you have to, in entertainment, pick your area of, of rejection yeah. that you can handle. That's how I feel. You know, I, I was – you know, I have some mild success with doing like a small independent show. But doing yeah. the – like trying to get uh, some proper representation through an agent, that's – that's something else, you know, being rejected by that is, that hits me a lot harder. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's difficult. I wish I had advice on how to, how to get that goal or accomplish that goal. But I, I really don't because it's, 
the business is so arbitrary right. at times. No, I agree. It's it's. I think that in in voiceover, uh, talent does win out only because um, you can't hide behind how you how you look. Right. I mean, I've done on camera commercials and, and TV shows and all kinds of stuff, and oftentimes they'll hire you just because. You look a certain way, you know. That this is what we're going for, and everybody there is kind of a decent actor, and so they just they just hire you for that. Sure. But in but in voiceover, just having a great voice is not enough. It's not. Uh, and a lot of people think that well, just because you know people tell me I have a nice voice, I should be able to, I should be working. Well, uh, that's it's not the case, and um, you know most of the people that I know that are really successful in voiceover, <clears throat> excuse me, have had very, um, well, they've had a lot of training. They've, they've got, uh, they've got amazing backlog of experience. Um, I remember I was working on this one movie it's a, uh, called XXX or something. It was Xander. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. One of those, one of those movies, I Xander, remember. whatever the heck it is. And, uh, we were just doing ADR. We we're just doing background voices. They brought us in to do Okay, you know, there's a motorcycle chase. This guy gets shot. We need a sound of him like falling off the motorcycle, or here's somebody else getting kicked. Give me a grunt. You know that kind of stuff. It was all just uh, uh, that kind of <laughs> yes. stuff the whole day. Nothing, nothing that was really too too taxing. But um, I met this one fellow that was there, and uh, he was a Filipino actor, and he was nominated for an Olivier Award. Because he was, he played the lead character in Miss Saigon, uh, and he was about to go back to Broadway to redo the uh, the revival of Miss Saigon on Broadway as as the uh, the the lead character. And here I'm looking at this thing and wait a minute, this guy's nominated for an Olivier Award. That's the English equivalent equivalent of the Tony, right? Right. This this guy is super super talented, accomplished. This guy has got a lot of experience. And here he is, just like me, going because uh, 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 it's it's a paycheck. So absolutely, even, yeah. The people that are working generally have have uh, studied a lot, and uh, that's that's one thing that a lot of voiceover people don't newbies that are coming in don't understand that you really have to have your acting chops there really strong because you're competing against people. A that, lot of people. Oh, you know, I've. I, Friends that are, you know, graduates of the Yale School of Drama. They've got master's degrees. They've had extensive um, vocal you know, training, stage yeah. career, and voice film, They got it all. Yeah. And what they're looking for now, they always want. They just want you. They just want this natural, natural person. But to access you is is difficult for a lot of people. A lot of actors don't know how to uh, to play anymore. Just have a good time, and uh, it's 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 kind of shocking you know when i when i was teaching uh i would tell the students i'd say listen don't worry about embarrassing yourself i will out embarrass any of you (laughs) okay so just have a good time let's explore let's kind of push the boundaries let's see who you are what you're made of what you got inside you got to just be able to you know rip open your chest and let it all out both warts and all but a lot of them just don't have that that muscle I don't know if, if they just spend too much time staring at a video screen and not enough time on by, by themselves just trying to figure out what to do. 
that you know out here. And uh, for those that don't know, Robert, of course, is a narrator for the yes. History Channel. And of course, you've seen him on Ancient Aliens and The Curse of Oak Island. Of course, you were in that video game, StarCraft. Oh, yes, that little little game that uh, that took off did, did moderately well. <laughs> yeah, that little game. And of yeah, course, I'm sure people. Jim, Jim Rayner and Jim StarCraft. Rainer. Yeah, that was that, that was quite an experience. You know, many many moons ago, I did hear your voice back in that game, and w once I heard you much later on in life, I thought, man, that guy sounds familiar. And of course, there you were on Ancient yeah, Aliens. It was uh, it was quite a trip. I mean, I was there at the very beginning. This was 1997. I'm trying to remember when uh, when I first met Chris Metzen, who was the creator of uh, of StarCraft, and at that time. You know, Blizzard was just, you know, they, they weren't Blizzard the they way they are yeah. now. And I remember sitting with, with Chris and he was showing me some of the sketches that he did of Jim Rayner, of StarCraft, of the, you know, the universe, the world right. that was going to be StarCraft. And they were just like in a, in a sketchbook. Now, though, now those same sketches are protected like the Mona Lisa. Yeah. You, go to, you go to Blizzard and they're in climate controlled room <laughs> behind, you know, two inches of glass. But it's it's amazing how uh, how that whole a project comes to life. Yeah, and how it evolved, and how many people were affected by it. When when we did the first one, you know, to be honest with, you, I don't even remember it that well because it was just a job that I did, and you yeah, knocked you just, it out, and then you know, sure. it takes forever for the thing to come out. And I remember many years later. Uh, I was working on a soap opera. It was uh, Young and the Restless. I used to play the judge on the Young and the Restless. Oh, did, no kidding. You know, did like a hundred episodes or something. Oh, of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I was I was known as the mean judge. Ah, the mean judge. And I, re <laughs> and <laughs> I, I remember that. I was on the set and a couple of the grips or people that were working on the show were talking about this video game. They're talking about StarCraft. And I said, oh, you've got talking about Star StarCraft? And they said, yeah. I said, well, I'm in that. I said, really? What do you play? I said, well, I think his name is Jim, Jim, I, I couldn't even remember the last name. Jim Rockford, Jim, no, that's Jim. They said, Rainer? I said, yeah. And their jaws like dropped to the floor. Oh, I bet. You're Jim Rainer? Uh, yeah. And after that, I realized, you know, maybe I missed something here. I should kind of check out, see what this whole StarCraft thing is, is that's going on. And then when I you know, Googled it, all of a sudden realized, oh my God, this thing is, is taken off. Yeah. This is a huge so sensation you, around the entire world. It yeah. was, it was, it was amazing. So that when, that's why when the second uh, alliteration of the game came out, StarCraft II, I desperately wanted to be involved and, and do, uh, do Jim Rayner again, because I felt I'd missed that experience. And I wanted to have the experience of, uh, of being in, being in this game and doing this. And seeing what what was was happening in the world with and how people were reacting to it, and uh, fortunately, I did. That's pretty awesome. You had no yeah. idea how it would take off and affect uh, the gaming world, in other words. And well, it sure it went, did. It, it went from so where, many. It went where Chris Metz and I were sitting looking at these sketches to where Jim Rayner, the character that I portrayed is on the side of a Korean Airlines 747. Not just a little picture. I mean, he's taking up basically half the plane and it's flying around the world. Uh, it's, you know, to think, whoa, that, we're there? Amazing. And, and uh, the characters were so rich. The writing was so fantastic. The director was was amazing. Worked with uh, Andrea Romano, 
one of the best animation directors on the planet. And it was just a, a marvelous, marvelous experience. And it was so meaningful and impactful to so many people. It really was gratifying on a personal level. And did you ever play the game yourself at any time? <laughs> yeah, that's the question people <laughs> ask. If I, you know, first of all, I would say, you know, if if I went online and were to play as Jim Rayner, I'm certainly not going to say it's me because imagine right. the, you know, the the <laughs> the street cred you get if you can tell people you kicked Jim Jim Rayner's ass in StarCraft. <laughs> um, and when I when I got the first game, yeah, I played it, and but I'm I'm impatient. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I get frustrated with, with those games. So they, they told me all the cheat codes, all the things that could give you like, you know, unlimited strength so that you could never, never die. Nice. So you could just power through the game. And, and I, I did do that, but I've been to quite a few, uh, conventions, uh, tournaments, and I've, you know, I've met a lot of the professional players. And if you've never gone to see, these these pros play this game in front of a, a big crowd. You really need to. That is what surprises me the most, by the way. And not not to interrupt oh. you, but the fact that there's so many so many damn people there just watch people playing video games. It's kind of mind boggling. Well, it's it's really exciting, and the 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 casters, um, you know, they're, they're not sports casters. They're just casters. Yeah. These are the guys that are men and women that go up and they describe what's happening with the game, and they're phenomenal yeah they're they they're, they're always wearing like a like a jacket and tie you know it's they're yeah. they're dressing up for it it's taken very uh, seriously in other words yeah and i, I know that in korea when they, they they set some crazy records where you know, like a hundred thousand people would show up in a stadium to watch two guys play this game I mean, it really was the, the the national sport of korea i don't know if it still is but it certainly certainly was that for quite a while they'd have it aired on television like every night you'd be watching it and it really is exciting. People have the thunder sticks and they're screaming. And when the pros play, each game doesn't really last that long. It's not like, you know, you're watching it for three hours right. when you're doing one game. You know, it could be 15, 20 minutes and then all of a sudden it's like a chess move. They realize, hey, I'm, I've lost. And they just basically resign at that point. And all the casters know when it's over. So it's, it's exciting. For sure. I'm just uh, always surprised that so many people are into that. But of course, if you go to, you know, popular websites like Twitch and all that, you see that there are major, uh, major audiences watching this uh, live in real time, mm -hmm. very much invested into it. And that's always good, in my opinion. It's, uh, I read some stats somewhere. I'm trying to remember where it was that, you know, more people either tune in and watch these things and then are watching like the Super Bowl. But the, the, you know, the, sports center type shows they don't really realize what kind of uh, an event this is they don't i don't think they really understand they don't that get this it is yeah. a competition yeah and it right. is a sport and you know these people that play it the, the top pros i mean they don't have a long shelf life because you have to have this incredible eye-hand coordination to to play these games and also be able to to think strategically it's it's it is like playing chess, but it's chess on you know some crazy steroids or something. It's just it's just so complex and so moving. But once you start understanding what's going on, then you can really appreciate the subtlety that's associated with it and the the, the different strategies that these players have, and they they really are athletes. Right, and of course you can die while playing uh, these games too. Well, any video game, <laughs> as you've seen on the news, which is insane. You see them playing in these uh, coffee shops or uh -huh. internet shops, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, they're, they're having seizures and stuff because they've been playing for hours <laughs> and not eating. 
Yeah, they don't eat. They don't go to the they, they go to the bathroom. They <laughs> do it right in the in the seat there. It's like, oh my goodness. Okay, all right. You got to be really into it. I mean, I love video games. Don't get me wrong, but to be playing I, for I, hours, I, that's yeah. When whoa. I need to go, I, I I go. I don't care what's what's going exactly. On. <laughs> that takes that takes precedence. It's a whole different animal, right there. <laughs> Much respect to them, though, and yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, uh, you are also known for your incredible talents, your narration skills on uh, Ancient Aliens. Yeah, Ancient Aliens, which, uh, goodness, we've done, I think, like 230 episodes. That's insane. Crazy number like that. We keep going. That's what. I, that's another thing I, I, I always have to mention to uh, anyone who's been on the show, and I have plenty of people that have been on the show that, of course, have been appearing on ancient aliens for a while and i always ask them are you surprised that the series has gone on for this long and, and not in a negative way just in the fact that um this thing has taken off well you know it's it's funny because um i'll go back to to kevin burns who was the yeah. uh, who the, the late great kevin burns who was the fellow that created ancient aliens created uh, uh curse of oak island he just he was a brilliant brilliant man uh, he was a professor who taught film at, I think it was Boston University. So he understood filmmaking. He understood what uh, people liked about about films. But he was also a kid at heart where he had like the largest, world's largest collection of Munster memorabilia. I mean, he collected all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, wow. But he... Uh, you know, he, t he told a great story about, and I, I'm sure he's, he told it at that first convention that you were at, about how ancient aliens evolved. And it started out as just a two-hour episode about, I guess, the moon. That was it. And History Channel put it on, and no matter what hour they put it on, it found an audience. And so the History Channel came back to him and said, uh, listen, can you, can you do three more shows? He goes, okay. He goes, and he did three more episodes, and, he, and in his opinion, they, they still tried to kind of bury it a little bit, tried to kill it. They would put it on at you know three in the morning or whatever, and people still found it. People were still drawn to it, so they kept on asking, you know, adding more episodes. And at one point, uh, he said, "He goes, guys, I, I've run out of pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how many stories about you know I've run out of pyramids? I don't have any more material." And they said, "Well, are you not going to do it?" He says, "Of course, I'm, I'm going to do it, but I'm just telling you." So it evolved from where it was kind of challenging to find the different subjects that we were looking for on the show to now, I mean, there's a, there's a, uh, as we're speaking, there's a congressional hearing about UFOs. UFOs, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, come on. There's the, the, all these crazy Tic Tac videos, the, the evidence that's coming out. It's, it's now we pick and choose We're we're inundated with topics. And we have to kind of filter through it a little bit to, to find which ones we want to do that, that are interesting. Everything is constantly changing, too. If we'd done a show, you know, we did several about, you know, Close Encounters 10 years ago, there's a huge volume of material since then that, that now we can, uh, we, we can tap into. And the, I think Kevin was also a genius when it came to casting. The way that he found these people, I mean, Giorgio was, was hired – I guess originally on a documentary that that I actually narrated for for Kevin about Indiana Jones. Ah, and he was I see. He, they brought him on as an expert about that. And uh, when he was doing Ancient Aliens, Kevin was thinking, okay, who do I want in this? We need to have. And he, he figured out how 
to, uh, um, you know, how to tap into what people were interested in, find people that were were not only intelligent, interesting, charismatic, a personalities. So all the theorists that you see up there, not only are they experts in their field and incredibly charismatic, well, they're able to speak and they're they everybody gets along as well, even though they have divergent opinions quite often about things. They still get along quite well. Kevin just had this magic of, of putting the, all these people together in, in a room and it just worked. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he also understood, down. you know, people would say, why do you not have a skeptic on the show? And he would explain, he'd say, listen, if I was doing a show about the nativity, why would I bring on an atheist? What's what, what is that going to add to the story? The guy's just going to piss on everything I'm saying. That's not, that, that, that doesn't help move the ball forward. Um, there's always skeptics out there. So in our show, we don't tell you what it is that you need to believe this. We just share the evidence. We say this is what legends tell us. This is what the hieroglyphics, uh, you know, on the pyramid tell us. If you think there's something else, then, you know, maybe you're right. But these are, you know, it's not that we're telling you. This is what our ancestors have been saying. Yeah. It's a great you show. Know, they, they, don't, they don't even know how old the uh, the Sphinx is. You know, the, the Egyptians have no written record of ever creating it. It's like they found it, it buried in the sand. How did it get there? Who, who built it? Why? And all, here's something that's crazy. Here's something that's wild. I did an episode earlier this year where it was about the Great Pyramid of Giza. And I, when I read this in the script, I couldn't believe it. But the coordinates, you know, the longitude and latitude of the Great Pyramid of Giza is the speed of light in meters per second. Oh, wow. That I didn't know. How is that? That That's can't pretty... be just an accident. No. And if it's built, you know, 2,500 years ago or whenever it was built, the concept of the speed of light? <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense. Are you, what? Come on. But a lot of things from, you know, ancient times uh, make you scratch your head and wonder how these primitive men or and, and women were able to accomplish all these things that, you know, we still have trouble doing today. Yeah, you know, Georgia was told me, I think it's um, Machu Picchu. I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly where it is, that the um, the way the stones are cut, you can't even fit a piece of paper between them. There's no way you can, we can even do it with that kind of precision now. Right. And they did it then. Yeah, it makes you wonder. And that's what I like well, about the show. Well, here's one thing that I was thinking, and I, I just overheard a conversation. This this was actually at a uh, an alien con. It's really interesting to be in the green room because I'm not a theorist. I, I'm not an expert on any sure. of this stuff. Uh, but to sit at, at a table and you hear Linda Moulton Howe talking to David Childress, who's talking to Dr. Travis Taylor, and they're, they're all just talking about stuff. And you know, the earth is, how old is the earth? It's like a, what, a billion years old or some, some crazy number like that. Who's to say that there haven't been this, this constant, you know, evolution and then dying out of, of different species, even humans over yeah. the, those billion years. So maybe the knowledge is passed on. And Linda was saying that every, what, 200,000 or 2 million years, basically what's on the bottom of the sea is now it, it's now on top. It just things are kind of churning and turning all the time. That's so, right. And we always find it's whenever they're digging, they always find something older than than what they found before. They've never hit like on. Well, that's it. 
Yeah, we're gone no, as far as we can. That's that's where it all began. There's they no real find answer. Something that goes a little bit further. Yeah, that's the the crazy thing. You know, it gets it, it keeps being pushed back every every few years. Yeah. How old yeah. we really are in our our human origins. You know, it's always yeah. super interesting to me, and um, I'm glad to know that you know you are open minded to a lot of these things, and you're not really. Uh, I think you're kind of in the middle here. That's kind of what I'm sensing. Yeah, well, I, I try to honor the uh, the vision of Kevin, and he was he called himself a, a skeptic, but open to the information. Yeah, that, that's you know he's, a good he's way not to shut down. And, be. and my job as the narrator is not to preach, it's not to tell you this is the way that it is to answer all your questions, and I'm also not my job is not to be a critic and just kind of go, ah, oh, this doesn't make any sense, this is BS. Um, I just basically draw you in. And I ask the questions. I, that's one of the wonderful things about the show is we just ask the questions. Here's the information. Is it possible? That's why those key questions that Kevin wrote, you know, the is it possible? Could it be? What if it were true? Um, are so, I guess they just kind of strike a, a chord in all of us. In fact, you go to these conventions, people have T-shirts that say, could it be? Could it be, um, right. Or ancient astronaut theorists say yes. <laughs> and it, it's... Uh, I have to, um, I mean, I take a little bit of a, of credit there. Yeah, you Kevin, have to. Kevin wrote the lines, but that's got to make I, you smile, though, to see that. Yeah, I, I'm, I made them my own. I have a, um, I really enjoy that aspect of it and saying those those words. And whenever I'm saying them in the script, I, I'm kind of giving a wink to everybody that's that's watching because they're they're kind of looking forward to it. I remember at that very first convention when I came out and. Everybody wanted to hear me say, "Ancient astronaut theorists they say yes." Yes, they were. They were like hanging on it. And you know, since I'm a little bit of a ham, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I told, I told, him, I said, "Listen, you're, I'm going to say it. Don't worry, but I'm going to tease you a little bit. We're you gonna, got we're going to have you got, you you know, got we're, the we're, biggest we're pop. at the dinner. We're having. We're going to be <laughs> dancing. We have a cocktail. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll get you'll get it in the end. Well, for those that weren't there, you got the uh, biggest pop or biggest. Uh, ovation of, of everybody um you know everybody was cheering right right as they announced your name oh that, that, it, it was it was so so sweet and so so unexpected and uh i'm i'm a pretty pretty humble guy and uh i i really try to live in the in the present and i certainly have no expectations so it was it was a real real sweet surprise and you could feel the uh, uh the the love from the from the people it was you know, not a not a challenging audience, in that they were there to support you and love you, and 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 listen to what you had to say, and so it was. I had fun. I had a lot of fun with them, and uh, I think they pick up pick up on that. Oh yes, they see that you are genuine and you enjoyed this, and you know you could feel that sort of energy in the room, and it, it's good to uh, get that kind of uh, ovation, especially when you are just, you know, you're just a narrator, which was awesome. <laughs> it's like a rock star came out. It was, it was incredible. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's kind of surprising, but you know, it's, it's, I get a lot of um, emails or, or messages from people who watch the show and they, they let me know that uh, my narration is a big part of the show for them. It is. A lot of them. No, it is. It is. They have it on. It's just, I don't, I don't want to say 24-7, but you know, on marathon days, they'll just have it on in the background while they're doing things. A lot of people tell me, especially women, that uh, 
they'll listen to my voice or listen to the show at night, listen to my voice, and they'll fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, that, that but they always, good. they always say, but in a good way. Yes. Not, and I say, well, it's good. In a comforting way. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not there to scare you. I, I'm. I'm there to kind of take you on the journey. I have, uh, you know, in voiceover, we have what we call vocal signatures. If somebody were to describe you, they would say, "Oh, he's, you know, he's intense. He's, he's angry. Well, you know, whatever it might be. You know, we were describe the comic Lewis, Lewis Black. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's bitter. He's angry. He's, he's opinionated, which is all good. That's all fine. That's why, that's why we pay attention to him. But the vocal signature that I was given that I think really hit the nail on the head, the head was that I was described as approachable intelligence. Oh. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm smart. It just, it just means that when I'm saying something that sounds like it's smart, it's not like it's intimidating. I'm inviting you in. I'm sharing it with you. So I'm, I'm bringing you on the journey. And when I go and I do that, uh, the, the show, I'm on the journey with you. Uh, I don't get the script in advance. I don't rehearse it. I, they just hand it to me that, that morning and we open it up to, to page one and I'll, I'll read it to myself just so I know what's on that. I'll say it out loud just to make sure I got the, uh, all the pronunciation right. And then we, then we do it. So if there's something in there, like for example, that, that uh, piece of information about the Great Pyramid of Giza that I talked about earlier, right. I find that to be really interesting really fascinating. So it allows, by not rehearsing like that, it allows my own natural uh, emotion or reaction to the material come out. And I think that kind of uh, translates in, into the way that I, that I do this script and what people resonate with when they listen to it. Yeah, you definitely have a different style of narrating that series. You know, it's not a very intimidating sort of <laughs> style. Like you're just saying, you do have a certain sonic signature to your voice that does sort of um it, it definitely hits that sort of a mark in your brain where you know it's not too intimidating and it's very informative not not too um i guess not so definitive in other words yeah and also um when i'm at conventions i'll be talking to somebody and they'll say you don't sound you sound different when you're doing the show i say well come here and i get real close to the microphone because that's his you know, the distance from the mic to m my mouth, and that's basically where their ear would be. And I would say, ancient astronaut theorists say yes. <laughs> it's, it's because I'm talking to them right at that point. And then, right. oh, yeah. That's you. You're the guy. So it's a part of it is just the placement and, in my mind, where that person is when I'm talking to them and, and what level I need to talk to them, to them at, volume-wise. <clears throat> Right, mic placement and just the way you you uh, say different things in different phrases. I, of course, have gotten the same thing where people say you have a fake voice. That guy, has, he must have have a fake voice. <laughs> and it's like, well, I was only born with one voice. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I know. Sometimes I just kind of chop up sentences a little bit. Some of it is just me just trying to catch a breath. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not like this this big technique that I that I've mastered. It's just this is the way it comes out. And, uh, you know, when you're doing a lot of, a lot of words in a session, sometimes it's hard to get them all out. And, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll chop it up a little bit and I'll go, okay, let's, you know, the director may say, let's, you know, let's kind of say the, these two or three sentences all as, as, as one thing. Okay. All right. Well, I can do that. Right. And so I think, I think I've improved, uh, improved over time, which is, sure. which is good, but still it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it is different. I know that they have, uh, 
another narrator that does the show Ancient Aliens for, for England, for Europe. Uh, I don't know why. In fact, History Channel out here doesn't even know why. But oh, for whatever reason, that's weird. You know, maybe, the, maybe the Brits think that if you're going to narrate, you need to sound like uh, you know David Attenborough or something. Mm. Um, so they've got him doing his thing. But he doesn't, he doesn't put the same kind of spin on it that I do. He doesn't say, is it possible? Could it be? What if it were true? <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, part of it is I, I, I change the pace up a little bit, sure, so that people are kind of anticipating that that moment. And I say, ancient astronaut theorists say, yes. Love the pause. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say it, but you don't know when it's going to be said. Yes, the pregnant pause is great. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of power in uh, in in pausing in voiceover. Absolutely, and uh, you know. Since we're talking about ancient aliens, and we just mentioned the whole uh-huh. UFO, uh, the whole uh, the, the the whole debacle, in other words, yeah. you know, um, this is the first time they're saying in over fifty years, Congress was holding a public hearing on UFOs. Yeah, and I'm curious to know if you are on board yourself with aliens and uh, UFOs. Are do you def- you definitely must believe in this? Well, I'll t- I'll tell you what what uh, what changed for me. Um, you know, because I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't had a, a personal experience. Personal, I know that, okay. I know that Giorgio has had a personal experience where he's seen what he felt was, uh, was a UFO. Um, but I haven't had that experience. Um, but I was at a convention in Texas, I guess like it was, this was after, you know, the one in Santa Clara. So it was one of those conventions that I was invited to. It wasn't a, an official alien con uh, convention, and it was sparsely attended. I mean, there was nobody there. It was in Dallas, and you know, whatever reason, the the uh, the promoter really picked the worst weekend to do it because apparently it was at the end of the summer or the beginning of the summer, and school was out. Everybody was graduating. But the bottom line is, everybody leaves Dallas <laughs> at that yeah, weekend whatever, for whatever reason. So there was nobody there, and I was sitting at my table, and uh, this this woman comes up to me. And she's, oh, yeah, I'm a friend, uh, you know, big fan of the show, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, that's great, great. And she goes, can I take a picture with you? Yeah, absolutely. Can you sign something for me? Sure, sure. And uh, since there was nobody there, I mean, you know, and finally somebody comes to my table. I say, so, so how do you, you know, how do you find out about the show? She goes, well, I used to work at NASA and, uh, you know, I worked on, you know, some of the, the moon programs, the Apollo programs. And, you know, so I'm a big fan of space wow. and this and that and the other thing. And as she's walking away, I said, excuse me. I said, wait a minute. Did anything ever happen while you were at NASA that you've never talked about that you would like to talk about? I mean, anything interesting, weird? She goes, well, she goes, I, let's see, it's been the statute of limitations is whatever the statute of limitations is. And she goes, and it's been over that. So, yeah, I can tell you this. And she tells me this story about what happened to her. Her job was to be – was the uh, she was in mission control and was to monitor the vital signs of the astronauts. Right. So she, you know, if you see Apollo 13, you see that room with all the guys in front of the computer screens. She's one of those people. All right. In mission control. So she's monitoring the uh, and it's Ron Evans was the uh, the pilot of the command module. And this was I guess it was Apollo 16, 17 it was like either the last mission or the next to the last mission where they actually sent up the moon buggy that they were driving around with on the moon. Ah, uh, Yes. And it was a, it was a longer mission. So they spent a longer period of time on the moon. 
And Rod Evans, who was a former fighter pilot, flew in Vietnam, a guy that is got to be pretty tough, not easily rattled. And he's up in the command module, and his job is just orbit the moon while these guys are on the surface. Well, when he goes around the backside of the moon, he's out of radio contact, right? He's on the dark side of the moon. Dark so side of the moon, yeah. And when he comes back in to radio contact, I guess his job is to say, I'm here, and then the commander of the mission who was actually on the moon checks in with him. And the guy that's on the moon, I can't remember his name now, says, uh, hey, Ron, uh, you lonely up there? And this astronaut replies, I'm not alone. And Mission Control, it was, first of all, this was a live broadcast. Anybody could listen to this. So they immediately switched over to a, to a more secure channel. This woman, a friend of mine, who I, who I met that day, she switches over to that private channel. And Mission Control asks Ron Evans, uh, Ron, are you joking? What's going on? He says, no, I'm not joking. He says, well, what is it? He says, I'm being followed. Can you describe it? The command module is, is apparently is about 17 feet from stem to stern. He estimated this thing to be over 40 feet long. He described it when, when she told me, she says, Ron Evans, whenever he would go on a, you know, uh, you know, combat mission or into space, his favorite food was Oscar Mayer wieners, right? He would eat hot dogs. And so he described this as it looked like an Oscar Mayer wiener. And she told me that of this, the shapes of people that have seen UFOs, either a cigar-shaped or a triangle-shaped, that's the most common shape. So wow. this would, would have fit into that cigar-shaped category. Yeah. Interesting. Ron Evans says, yes, yeah. this is, it's not American. This is not Russian because I don't know what it is. It followed him in formation for, I think she said, five orbits around the moon and then disappeared. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That, that's Apollo 17, I would say. Okay, Apollo 17. Well, there's more to the story because apparently he took photographs of this thing. Right, yeah. When they, when they landed back on Earth and it was a, you know, a water, water landing in the ocean, this friend of mine was on the support ship that picked him up out of the ocean. And she saw him sitting in you know, one of the staterooms there on, on the, you know, the Navy ship. And she went up to him and says, Ron, are you okay? He was just kind of shaking his head. He goes, uh, I, I don't know. And she said, uh, Ron, is this about the anomaly that you saw? And he says, you're aware of that? She goes, yeah, I, I was in a loop. I was part of the conversation. And he told her, he said, this was something I'd never seen in my life because I don't know what this was. It's the strangest thing that I've ever experienced. Uh, when she told me that story, that this was not somebody telling her the story. This is her experiencing it. Being there. Yeah. Being there. Being privy to the conversation. And I would ask her a question. I said, uh, what is NASA's uh, opinion of this? She goes, well, we had a meeting that, that evening after he first described this where we said, let's not talk about it. And, and the reason being is because NASA doesn't, they gather the information. They don't make a decision as to what it is, an evaluation. And they pass it on to, you know, the brain trust. They figure out what the heck it all is. So they said, listen, let's not offer an opinion about this. Let's not talk about it. Uh, we'll let the, let the people that understand this kind of stuff or think they understand this stuff, let them figure out what this all means. And I asked her, I said, what is the opinion of, of NASA as far as UFOs are concerned? And she's been to parties where astronauts are all, all they're from different different missions are just you know having a beer and and eating eating barbecue 
And they all have these similar stories of these events that have happened. And Giorgio brought up a really interesting point because he became friends with Neil Armstrong's son. And he talked to him about how his father changed after going to the moon. And you would think, you know, here you are. You, you go to the moon. Right. You go to outer space. That should be like the most exciting, amazing experience of your life. Something you want to talk about forever. I agree. Right? I mean, yeah. people would go, well, tell us what. And these people, quite often, these astronauts are changed after this experience. They either saw something or they had some experience there that just altered um, their perception. Yeah, they don't and, come you know, back the Neil same. Neil Armstrong wouldn't, didn't really want to talk about going to the moon. It was not. It, you know, his son would say, yeah, my dad never really talked about it. I would ask me, we wouldn't talk about That's it. That's bizarre. Something yeah, happened. It's, it's like it's like talking to somebody that was in some horrible some trauma mission that they yeah. can't talk about. It's just too, just too traumatic. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know it was that severe where it was like even going to a private conversation with uh, someone that you're related to and they are, you know, hesitant to speak about this experience that you would think or you, you know, you would imagine that it would be, uh, it, it would be positive. It'd be something great to yeah, sort of tell. Yeah. And yet they, they so maybe it was talk. something that was incredibly humbling. Maybe, yeah, I, I, maybe they experienced something. I don't know, but a lot of them have had similar stories that they'll tell that they saw things that they could not explain that made no sense. And, you know, you look at those Tic Tac videos that are out there now where these Navy pilots, these guys, come on, this is the cream of the crop. These are fighter pilots, right? These, these, it's not somebody that's driving a, flying a Cessna. These are the top, top, top guys. And they're saying this thing is defined the laws of physics. Yeah. They're blown away. It, it's, it's moving too fast. It's, it's the, it's turning too quickly. It, it's, how does it do that? You know, is it, is it, you know, I, I don't think anybody's thinking, oh, you know, the, the Chinese have got this phenomenal technology. The Russians have this phenomenal technology. They're just not telling us. Uh, I, I, I doubt it. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't buy that either. And remember, with these things, all, all you have to do is be right once. You know, all, let's say that 99.9% .9 of all the UFO sightings are worthless. It's it's swamp grass, swamp gas. It's it's a weather balloon. It's whatever the heck it is. But let's say there's one. That's, <laughs> that's all not, it takes. Yeah, that's all it takes. No, but there's there's that's countless of videos from NASA where you see these crazy objects out there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, yeah. I I have, and uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have conversations with some of the uh, the theorists about it and especially Georgia Georgia has become a, a, a really good friend and um, oh that's good to hear they uh, you know they're they're convinced it's it's you know pr prove me wrong yeah I, I would say a good number of them out there things that we've seen online things that have speculated I'm sure uh, some of those crafts might have been us but there are those out there those very few incidents that are you know well, you, Beyond you hear, our imagination. hear crazy stories. I have a friend of mine. I don't, you know, this is this is now getting to third person. So who knows whether it's accurate or not? But he claims that a a friend of his who was a uh, a test pilot. Not only, not only did he go to Area Fifty One and see an alien spacecraft, he flew it. Wow. His friend he told flew me it. flew the thing. Like what? Yeah, really? That's pretty yeah. outrageous. So, you know, if, if if something did crash, you'd think, of course, they would reverse engineer it. 
Sure. Well, um, that's another one, it, you know, the right. Roswell crash after that happened, you know, technology for some reason just blossomed after that period. Yeah. So, you know, right. you, you, <laughs> who knows, right. right? Who knows? And uh, another, another interesting thing that came out recently, not very long in, in during this month was the whole alien door on Mars. I'm not sure if you saw that. It was like a... What's the alien door? There's this one photograph that was taken uh-huh. by the Curiosity rover, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like this uh, cave opening in the, in the, and there's like a doorway. Oh. And it looks like basically every sort of ancient civilization sort of doorway where it's carved in a very... Not not exactly straight. It It definitely doesn't look... It, well, it doesn't look like it, it's naturally formed that way, in other words. It, it could be, you know, uh, 500 million years old. I mean, we know that Mars used to have water. It was probably a, a probably a pretty nice place to be. That's what <laughs> at I'm thinking. One point. And some people believe we've been on Mars. That is true. And uh, some, talking to Linda and some of the other, other theorists. Well, some people say there were child trafficking on Mars at one time by... Um, I think that was a Robert Robert David Steele, I believe, said that on the okay. Alex Jones show, and that went crazy for a while. Uh, of course, I don't believe that personally, but that's uh, some people have a wild imagination, I would say. But yeah, I, I would say perhaps man has been on Mars at one time or another. I I think that we've had, like I said before, that you know the human human race is probably much older than we come and think. gone yeah. and come back and gone and come back and could could have happened you know 500 times i mean when you think about about our own recorded history was it go back a few thousand years at the, right. at the most um you know going back to the uh i've got I'll say the Phoenicians, but I'm not, I talk about them all the time. No, I can't remember. The Sumerians, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Sumerians, exactly. And now we find that there's actually civilizations or, that were older than the that, Sumerians. Right. So who knows? Who, who knows? Yeah. The, you know, the dinosaurs are here, then they disappear. Uh, you know, and they were around for, what, 100 million years or 50 million years, a heck of a long, lot longer than we have. And Michael Cremo, I'm not sure, if, or I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Cremo, but he believes that man – Man definitely existed during uh, the time of dinosaurs. Hey, listen, I, I love the movie One Million Years B.C. when I <laughs> was too. a kid with Raquel Welsh, so I, yes. I want to believe that's true. I want to believe that too, actually. <laughs> I, I wish we coexisted with them, for sure. That would be awesome. And uh, Robert, of course, you also had a massive success with Oak Island. The Curse of Oak Island, yes. It's... Uh... Different pretty, change pretty of pace amazing. there for we, you. I think we just finished our, our ninth season or is our, our eighth season. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but it's the number one show on cable Tuesday nights. It's the number one show on History Channel. And we get close to three million people tuning in each and every week. That's crazy. Amazing. I love that. And again, I, I credit Kevin Burns for creating this he, another home run he met yeah he, he found these guys he was intrigued by the story and uh he turned it into this incredibly successful show and the, i think the a huge factor is the relationship that the two brothers have rick and marty lagina you know it's it's real uh these are are two brothers who had this dream when they were kids of exploring for gold 
And, uh, you know, that's, who, who hasn't as a kid taken, uh, you know, a metal detector or just gone exploring and tried to find a treasure somewhere? It's everybody dreams of that. Even if you go to the to the beach and you're just walking around on vacation, you're looking, <laughs> you're looking, yeah. maybe, maybe there's a diamond down here. Maybe there's, maybe I'll find something really cool, even if it's just a, a shell or, or something fascinating. Uh, and the, the, the guys are so compelling, so interesting, and they're really trying to do it. And they're also smart. They, you know, they, they don't need to do this for the fame or the money. They've got plenty of money. Uh, this is, this has been something that they've wanted to do and they're, and they look at it and they look at, you know, Rick is, is a little bit more of the, um, romantic. He's, he's the, he's, he's got the real emotional stake in this. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. And, and, and Marty, his brother is a little bit more, you know, he's a little bit more reserved. More reserved, right. He's, he's saying, you know what, we, we can't just spend whatever we want and just go crazy. We got to have a plan here. So we got to control this a little bit and let's figure out how to do this and do this efficiently and properly. And so you've got all these people that have come together with this goal and they're all experts and they're all fascinating, all interesting, they're all adding something. And then you add to that the scale that they're doing it at where you're bringing in these machines. I, I, I read these these descriptions it's like a 300 ton machine. I think, what? How big is this thing? And they have to like repair the ground just because it's so friggin' heavy. And, and I also think, wait a minute, where do you get these things? I remember one episode I talked about, you know, this custom made machine that was kind of come from Korea. And I thought, when do you order this thing? You don't just go on Amazon yeah. and have <laughs> on it Amazon Prime and it's there in a couple of days. <laughs> you have to think, you know, a year in advance. And then if it's coming from Korea, is it actually coming from Korea? Are they putting it on a ship? Is it going through the Suez Canal or you going through the, at, uh, Long Beach? You know, how is it <laughs> if it's going into Long Beach? Then right. Are they shipping it all the way across the country to, to to Nova Scotia? Are they going through the Panama Canal? How are they getting it there? Or is it being manufactured someplace else? And then, then of course, what do you do with it when you're finished? That's a great question. Yeah, they where does it go? It back? All I'm saying is that these guys have this this plan in place and they're able to make these things happen. And a, a lot of fans have talked to me about how not only do they find the show interesting, just that they're, you know, they're hoping that they're going to find some treasure, but the way that they work it out together, how they figure out a plan and how to do things and how everybody's got, uh, um, you know, a job to do is something that for, you know, a, a lot of people, uh, it's a great lesson for, for children. It's like, okay, you've got a, you've got a, something you want to do. Okay. Let's figure out how to do it. As opposed to, I just want to do it and just do it for me. No, you got to do some work. Let's, we got to invest. You got to plan for this. You got to save a little bit. And then you've got these machines doing this crazy stuff. Who, who doesn't want to see a giant oscillating machine that's, you know, 10 feet wide <laughs> going crazy on, 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 or, you know, putting little dynamite charges around and blowing them up. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff to watch all this equipment work. And, and Billy Gerhardt is, is amazing. The guy can drive every anything you put him in any kind of a device and the guy knows how to work it and he's, he's incredibly delicate with it as well it's like billy can you go down another uh, you know half an inch <laughs> it's like, he's got like some giant hammer grab thing and he's going yeah sure no problem and he does it it's like you know he's like he's 
wiping a baby's butt or something. It's like so gentle. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, an it's a phenomenal show, I should say. Not an incredible show. It's been phenomenal for a while. And um, I I've seen a number of episodes myself and I'm intrigued yeah. by it all. But um, I always. Let's, let, let's hope they find something. That's I mean, what they're I already keep finding thinking. a lot of very interesting things, a lot of clues. And, you know, this last season when they went to Portugal, fascinating. It's very interesting, I, but I always wonder, what, what are they going to find now? What big, significant thing will they find? It's always on my mind. And again, I'm surprised that show's gone on as long as it has, in, yeah, in a positive I mean, when way. When we did it, we thought, you know, maybe a, a, you know, a few 10 episodes. episodes. Yeah. I mean, come on. Now we're, in, now we're in like 150 episodes into this. People are, are definitely invested. They feel like they're part of the, uh, the fellowship of the dig. Yeah, people are in Part of the team. And of course, Robert, we are sort of coming to a close very oh, soon here. Okay. I don't want to take your take too much of your time here, but you know, on um, other subjects like uh, let's say um, the paranormal, where where do you stand with that? Are you open minded to that sort of thing? Yeah, I don't shut anything out. You know, I'm uh, I'm. Uh, so, in other to, words, to you would say, narrate to say no a, to everything. Doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. I mean, come on. So, in, in other words, you're saying that you're open to like narrate a, a ghost show. Oh, heck yeah. Definitely. Are they, you're pay, in. are they paying me? Then I'm definitely open for it. Then you're in. <laughs> what, what about... Yeah, um, no, no, no. As an actor, you're, yes. you're, you're looking forward to to the next challenge. To the next gig, right. And next, yeah, the next gig, next challenge. You didn't even mention Red Notice that uh, that I was the opening narrator for, which was you know huge, huge hit on Netflix with Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds. The director uh, uh, is Ross and Thurber has become friends and he was a huge fan of ancient aliens. And so when he wrote the opening monologue, he said, you're my guy. I wrote it with you in mind. Love that. Yeah. That's always good to get work. And uh, for those that don't know, you know, I do these freelance projects all the time and sometimes you get a yes, sometimes you get a no, but you're just happy to get continuous work at times. And for those who've never narrated a book or tried, oh, the book could be it's like hard. four. Yes, it's very hard. The book could be a maximum of or a total of four hours, let's say, but that's not counting all the screw ups you made and the re-recordings oh. you have to do. It's it, it's oh. not as glamorous as some people think. That you know, it's it. Oh, it's an easy job. You just talking to a mic uh, and no. It, it, oh my god! First of all, how do you rehearse it? Yeah, right. What do you read the book out loud three I, or four times at least? And it'll my, take you. Know, you it takes <laughs> a while. Two days to do, <laughs> and then of course you have to be word perfect. And you, you know, if your shirt makes a little bit of a noise, forget it. Got to go back. That's where you need a really good director. So, you know, aud narrating a book is really hard. It's tough. And the people that do it well, man, my hat's my hat is off to them. I've I've done a few books, but man, it is tough, 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 tough. It really is. And then, of course, you have the, in my position, you know, I've done maybe two or three, and um, sometimes you don't get paid. Sometimes people rip you off. <laughs> and that's happened to me. That's the trouble yeah, being a freelancer. Yeah, there's yeah. that. I'm sure you know about that. Yeah, it's happened. Oh, yeah. They they won it yesterday, so you bust your tail, and then, of course, you know, four months later, you're still waiting for that check. <laughs> oh. Like, wait a minute. I thought it was this was so, you needed this so right yeah, away. Yeah, you needed urgency. Yeah, you need it so but urgent. You can't cut me that check right away as well no yeah that's the uh, struggle with doing this uh boys and girls it's a yeah, don't, constant don't try hustle. this at home don't yes. try it at home I, I would not recommend it for anyone you know it's so shattering at times as i mentioned to you uh, here but when you have a uh, success it, it's fantastic though yeah well one of the things i think a, a key for an actor first of all is to 
not take it to, so seriously. Because a lot of actors that I know, you know, they, they think it's so important, you know, that they're solving the world's problems. You're really not. You're entertaining. Yeah. Your, your, your job is to have some fun doing this. Um, so don't take yourself so seriously. And also, the difference between getting a gig and not getting a gig is thinner than a piece of paper. They just either pick you or they don't. Right. So if you if you get the gig, doesn't mean you're brilliant. And if you don't get the gig, doesn't mean you're crap. It just means you either got it or you didn't. Now, you need to be good. That helps. <laughs> Certainly helps. Right. <laughs> Especially in voiceovers. You got to put in the work. But at the same time, you got to have, we talked about this a little bit before, you have to have that, that uh, thick skin and just know that rejection is the price you pay. And, you know, Brian Cranston said he got, he became successful when he started looking at the audition instead of as, as an audition, but as an opportunity to perform. Yeah. Took all the pressure way. off. That's hey, I just get to it. go and act for these people. Whether they, they hire me or not, doesn't matter. You know, I get to, I get to show my thing. I get to do a, a little, little performance today. That's fun. And then all of a sudden, he started working all the time. Right. You got to take it as a practice run and just material yeah. that, you know, you could use later on in, in your portfolio. Yeah. That's really what it's all about, um, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, going back to, you know, strange subjects here before we close it down as well. Um, what about Bigfoot? Are you open to Bigfoot or not really? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not shutting it down. We did an episode about Bigfoot, uh, on ancient aliens. And I, and I have to be honest, I thought that was one of the weaker shows that, that Bigfoot was some kind of a human hybrid experiment gone wrong, human alien hybrid gone wrong. But this, you know, the Yetis, Bigfoot, there's so much we don't know. There's so much that's unexplored. We're, you know, we're in a, we're in a, uh, a stage in life in, a, in human evolution where we are way ahead of who, are, who we are in our primitive, our primitive selves. We're basically, sh we should still be in caves, right? But now we're in, in you know, in jet airplanes and we're, you know, dealing with the internet. So we think that all the information about everything is available to us within a nanosecond. There's a lot more we don't know than what we do know. We're just kind of scratching the surface a little bit. Even if we, I don't even know if we're scratching the surface. We, we're, you know, we're just kind of, we're infants when it comes to, to, to what's really out there. And we know a lot, but we don't know everything and nowhere near it. That's and part right. of the wonderful aspect of life for me is the not knowing. I agree. Yes. We're, we're, we're curious people that search for knowledge. And why do you think people have debates and, and arguments is because they don't know. They're trying to figure it out. And that's that's the challenge that uh, human beings have. And fortunately, we've got brains. We're able to, uh, to to make those kind of choices and decisions and have those arguments. And we can look back and go, wow, I screwed up there. I was wrong or, or I was right, whatever it might be. But it's the it's the search for knowledge. It's the curiosity. That's what keeps us going. Uh, the exploration. I mean, how much of the ocean do we really know? We don't have oh, a small clue. portion. Maybe yeah. we studied, you know, one or two percent of it. Usually, basically, just the surface. What's going on down deep? We haven't a clue. Life is a mystery. And isn't it wonderful that it is? I agree. Everyone is uh, seeking for all the answers. That's part of the red race. It's a curse and a blessing. Some would say. Yes. And as the door opens, you know, or as the door closes, more open. Yeah. As you as one question is answered, more are asked. That's what's uh, interesting about life. It really is. And Robert, once again, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. It's been a honor and pleasure. I've been wanting to talk to you for multiple years now. I'm glad we finally got the chance to do that. And of course, Robert, 
Um, if you feel like plugging anything you'd want or any upcoming projects you're involved with, uh, now is the time to uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you can follow me on on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, also, I do cameos if you want like a little little uh, greeting, a video greeting, birthday greeting, whatever. You can catch me on Cameo. And also I have a – this is very interesting. There's a site called Jemmy, J-E-M-I, and it's basically a – you know, kind of a store. So a lot of people uh, wanted scripts from Ancient Aliens or Curse of Oak Island, and I used to bring those to conventions. But since we haven't had any conventions for the last couple of years, right. I decided to offer those to people that wanted to uh, to have one. And it's my personal script. It's the one that I actually had in front of me when I was uh, reading whatever that show would be, either Ancient Aliens or Curse of Oak Island. And a lot of them have my little handwritten notes with, I don't know how to say something. I'll do that. Or we make little chicken scratches to change this or that. And uh, I'll, I'll autograph it for you and send it out to you. And you can have a, a, a memento. So that that's available. And I can't tell you what's 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 coming up. But let's say that uh, we, we will be, uh, you will be hearing a lot of, a lot from me. Oh, nice. Very busy here in 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all, it's all nice. good. It's all good. Very good. Well, once again, Robert, I will talk to you again on the other side. Absolutely. Pleasure. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Robert Cotworthy. He is the narrator for the History Channel series Ancient Aliens and, of course, The Curse of Oak Island. And he is also known for his role of Jim Rayner in the StarCraft video game series. If you guys enjoyed that one very much, thank you for pressing play and... We will be back soon with more live shows. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.